Section 33 of Pamela, or Virtue Rewarded. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Pamela, or Virtue Rewarded, by Samuel Richardson. Section 33. Monday Morning. Yesterday we set out, attended by John, Abraham, Benjamin, and Isaac, in fine new liveries, in the best chariot, which had been new cleaned and lined, and new harnessed, so that it looked like a new one. But I had no arms to quarter with my dear lord and masters, though he jocularly, upon my taking notice of my obscurity, said that he had a good mind to have the olive branch, which would allude to his hopes, quartered for mine. I was dressed in the suit that I mentioned, of white flowered with silver, and a rich head-dress, and the diamond necklace, earrings, etc., I also mentioned before. And, my dear sir, in a fine-laced silk waistcoat of blue paduasoy, and his coat a pearl-coloured fine cloth, with gold buttons and buttonholes, and lined with white silk, and he looked charmingly indeed. I said I was too fine, and would have laid aside some of the jewels. But he said, it would be thought a slight to me from him as his wife, and though, as I apprehended, it might be that people would talk as it was, yet he would rather they should say anything than that I was not put on an equal footing as his wife with any lady he might have married. It seems that the neighbouring gentry had expected us, and there was a great congregation, for, against my wish, we were a little of the latest, so that, as we walked up the church to his seat, we had an abundance of gazers and whisperers. But my dear master behaved with so intrepid an air, and was so cheerful and complacent to me, that he did credit to his kind choice, instead of showing as if he were ashamed of it. And as I was resolved to busy my mind entirely with the duties of the day, my intentness on that occasion, and my thankfulness to God, for his unspeakable mercies to me, so took up my thoughts, that I was much less concerned than I should otherwise have been, at the gazings and whisperings of the ladies and gentlemen, as well as of the rest of the congregation, whose eyes were all turned to our seat. When the sermon was ended, we stayed the longer, because the church should be pretty empty, but we found great numbers at the church doors and in the church porch, and I had the pleasure of hearing many commendations as well of my person as my dress and behaviour, and not one reflection or mark of disrespect. Mr. Martin, who was single, Mr. Chambers, Mr. Arthur, and Mr. Brooks with their families were all there, and the four gentlemen came up to us before we went into the chariot, and in a very kind and respectful manner complimented us both and Mrs. Arthur and Mrs. Brooks were so kind as to wish me joy. And Mrs. Brooks said, You sent Mr. Brooks, madam, home the other day, quite charmed with a manner which you have convinced a thousand persons this day is natural to you. You do me great honour, madam, replied I. Such a good lady's approbation must make me too sensible of my happiness. My dear master handed me into the chariot, and stood talking with Sir Thomas Atkins at the door of it, who was making him abundance of compliments, and is a very ceremonious gentleman, 
a little too extreme in that way, and, I believe, to familiarise me to the gazers, which concerned me a little. For I was dashed to hear the praises of the country people, and to see how they crowded about the chariot. Several poor people begged my charity, and I beckoned John with my fan, and said, Divide in the church porch that money to the poor, and let them come to-morrow morning to me, and I will give them something more, if they don't importune me now. So I gave him all the silver I had, which happened to be between twenty and thirty shillings, and this drew away from me their clamorous prayers for charity. Mr. Martin came up to me on the other side of the chariot, and leaned on the very door, while my master was talking to Sir Thomas, from whom he could not get away, and said, "'By all that's good you have charmed the whole congregation. Not a soul but is full of your praises.' My neighbour knew better than anybody could tell him how to choose for himself. Why, said he, the dean himself looked more upon you than his book. Oh, sir, said I, you are very encouraging to a weak mind. I vow, said he, I say no more than is the truth. I'd marry to-morrow, if I was as sure of meeting with a person of but one half the merit you have. You are, continued he, and tis not my saying so to praise too much an ornament to your sex, an honour to your spouse, and a credit to religion. Everybody is saying so, added he, for you have by your piety edified the whole church. As he had done speaking, the dean himself complimented me, that the behaviour of so worthy a lady would be very edifying to his congregation, and encouraging to himself. Sir, said I, you are very kind. I hope I shall not behave unworthy of the good instructions I shall have the pleasure to receive from so worthy a divine. He bowed and went on. Sir Thomas then applied to me, my master stepping into the chariot, and said, I beg pardon, madam, for detaining your good spouse from you, but I have been saying he is the happiest man in the world. I bowed to him, but I could have wished him further to make me sit so in the notice of every one which, for all I could do, dashed me not a little. Mr. Martin said to my master, If you come to church every Sunday with your charming lady, I will never absent myself, and shall give a good example to all the neighbourhood. Oh, my dear sir, said I to my master, you know not how much I am obliged to good Mr. Martin. He has, by his kind expressions, made me dare to look up with pleasure and gratitude said my master, My dear love, I am very much obliged, as well as you, to my good friend Mr. Martin. And he said to him, We will constantly go to church and to every other place where we can have the pleasure of seeing Mr. Martin. Mr. Martin said, Gad, you are a happy man, and I think your lady's example has made you more polite and handsome too than I ever knew you before, though we never thought you unpolite neither and so he bowed and went to his own chariot, and as we drove away the people kindly blessed us and called us a charming pair. As I have no other pride, I hope, in repeating these things, than in the countenance the general approbation gives to my dear master for his stooping so low, you will excuse me for it, I know. In the afternoon we went again to church, and a little early at my request, but the church was quite full and soon after even crowded. So much does novelty, the more's the pity, attract the eyes of mankind. 
Mr. Martin came in after and made up to our seat, and said, If you please, my dear friend, I will take my seat with you this afternoon. With all my heart, said my master. I was sorry for it, but resolved my duty should not be made second to bashfulness or any other consideration. And when divine service began, I withdrew to the farther end of the pew, and left the gentlemen in the front, and they behaved quite suitably, both of them, to the occasion. I mention this the rather, because Mr. Martin was not very noted for coming to church, or attention when there, before. The dean preached again, which he was not used to do, out of compliment to us, and an excellent sermon he made on the relative duties of Christianity. And it took my particular attention, for he made many fine observations on the subject. Mr. Martin addressed himself twice or thrice to me during the sermon, but he saw me so wholly engrossed with hearkening to the good preacher that he forbore interrupting me. Yet I took care, according to the lessons formerly given me, to observe to him a cheerful and obliging behaviour as one of Mr. B.'s friends and intimates. My master asked him to give us his company to supper, and he said, I am so taken with your lady that you must not give me too much encouragement, for I shall be always with you if you do. He was pleased to say, You cannot favour us with too much of your company, and as I have left you in the lurch in your single state, I think you will do well to oblige us as much as you can, and who knows but my happiness may reform another rake. Who knows, said Mr. Martin. Why, I know, for I am more than half reformed already. At the chariot door, Mrs. Arthur, Mrs. Brooks, and Mrs. Chambers were brought to me by their respective spouses, and presently the witty Lady Towers, who bantered me before, as I once told you, joined them and Mrs. Arthur said she wished me joy, and that all good ladies my neighbours would collect themselves together and make me a visit. This, I said, will be an honour, madam, that I can never enough acknowledge. It will be very kind so to countenance a person who will always study to deserve your favour by the most respectful behaviour. Lady Tower said, My dear neighbour, you want no countenance. Your own merit is sufficient. I had a slight cold that kept me at home in the morning, but I heard you so much talked of and praised that I resolved not to stay away in the afternoon, and I join in the joy every one gives you. She turned to my master and said, You are a sly thief, as I always thought you. Where have you stolen this lady? And now, how barbarous is it, thus unawares in a manner to bring her here upon us, to mortify and eclipse us all? "'You are very kind, madam,' said he, "'that you and all my worthy neighbours see with my eyes. "'But had I not known she had so much excellency of mind and behaviour "'as would strike everybody in her favourite first sight, "'I should not have dared to class her with such of my worthy neighbours "'as now so kindly congratulate us both.' "'I own,' said she softly, "'I was one of your censurers.' "'but I never liked you so well in my life as for this action. "'Now I see how capable your bride is "'of giving distinction to any condition. "'And coming to me, my dear neighbour,' said she, "'excuse me for having but in my thoughts "'the remembrance that I have seen you formerly, "'when, by your sweet air and easy deportment, "'you so much surpass us all "'and give credit to your present happy condition.'
"'Dear good madam,' said I, "'how shall I suitably return my acknowledgments? "'But it will never be a pain to me "'to look back upon my former days. "'Now I have the kind allowance and example "'of so many worthy ladies "'to support me in the honours "'to which the most generous of men has raised me.' "'Sweetly said,' she was pleased to say, "'if I was in another place, "'I would kiss you for that answer. "'Oh, happy, happy, Mr. B.' "'said she to my master. "'What reputation have you not brought upon your judgment?' "'I won't be long before I see you,' added she. "'I'll assure you if I come by myself.' "'That shall be your own fault, madam,' said Mrs. Brooks. "'And so they took leave, "'and I gave my hand to my dear master, and said, "'How happy have you made me, generous sir!' And the dean, who had just come up, heard me and said, And how happy you have made your spouse, I'll venture to pronounce, is hard to say, from what I observe of you both. I curtsied and blushed, not thinking anybody heard me. And my master telling him he should be glad of the honour of a visit from him, he said, He would pay his respects to us the first opportunity, and bring his wife and daughter to attend me. I said that was doubly kind, "'and I should be very proud of cultivating so worthy an acquaintance. "'I thanked him for his kind discourse, "'and he thanked me for my attention, which he called exemplary, "'and so my dear master handed me into the chariot, "'and we were carried home, both happy and both pleased, thank God. "'Mr. Martin came in the evening with another gentleman, "'his friend, one Mr. Dormer, "'and he entertained us with the favourable opinion, he said, every one had of me, and of the choice my good benefactor had made. This morning the poor came, according to my invitation, and I sent them away with glad hearts to the number of twenty-five. There were not above twelve or fourteen on Sunday that John divided the silver among, which I gave him for the purpose, but others got hold of the matter and made up the above number. Tuesday my generous master has given me this morning a most considerate, but yet from the nature of it, melancholy instance of his great regard for my unworthiness, which I never could have wished, hoped for, or even thought of. He took a walk with me after breakfast into the garden, and a little shower falling, he led me for shelter into the little summer-house in the private garden, where he formerly gave me apprehensions. And, sitting down by me, he said, I have now finished all that lies on my mind, my dear, and am very easy. For have you not wondered that I have so much employed myself in my library, been so much at home, and yet not in your company? No, sir, said I, I have never been so impertinent as to wonder at anything you please to employ yourself about, nor would give way to a curiosity that should be troublesome to you. "'and beside, I know your large possession, "'and the method you take of looking yourself into your affairs "'must needs take up so much of your time "'that I ought to be very careful how I intrude upon you.' "'Well,' he said, "'but I'll tell you what has been my last work "'I have taken it into my consideration, "'that, at present, my line is almost extinct, "'and that the chief part of my maternal estate, "'in case I should die without issue, "'will go to another line.' and a great part of my personal will fall into such hands as I should not care my Pamela should be at the mercy of. 
I have therefore, as human life is uncertain, made such a disposition of my affairs, as will make you absolutely independent and happy, as will secure to you the power of doing a great deal of good, and living as a person ought to do, who is my relict, and shall put it out of any body's power to molest your father and mother in the provision I design them, for the remainder of their days. And I have finished all this this very morning, except to naming trustees for you, and if you have anybody you would confide in more than another, I would have you speak. I was so touched with this mournful instance of his excessive goodness to me, and the thoughts necessarily flowing from the solemn occasion, that I was unable to speak, and at last relieved my mind by a violent fit of weeping, and could only say, clasping my arms round the dear generous man, "'How shall I support this, so cruel, yet so very kind?' "'Don't, my dear,' said he, "'be concerned at what gives me pleasure. "'I am not at the nearer to my end "'for having made this disposition, "'but I think the putting off of these material points, "'when so many accidents every day happen, "'and life is so precarious, "'is one of the most inexcusable things in the world. "'And there are many important points to be thought of "'when life is drawing to its utmost verge, "'and the mind may be so agitated and unfit "'that it is a most sad thing to put off to that time "'any of those concerns which more especially require "'a considerate and composed frame of temper "'and perfect health and vigour to give directions about. "'My poor friend Mr. Carlton, who died in my arms so lately "'and had a mind disturbed by worldly considerations to one side, "'a weakness of body through the violence of his distemper on another, "'and the concerns of still as much more moment as the soul is to a body on a third, made so great an impression upon me then, that I was the more impatient to come to this house, where were most of my writings, in order to make the disposition I have now perfected. And since it is grievous to my dear girl, I will myself think of such trustees as shall be most to her benefit. I have only, therefore, to assure you, my dear, that in this instance, as I will do in any other I can think of, I have studied to make you quite easy, free, and independent. And because I shall avoid all occasions for the future which may discompose you, I have but one request to make, which is, that if it pleases God for my sins to separate me from my dearest Pamela, you will only resolve not to marry one person, for I would not be such a herald as to restrain you from a change of condition with any other, however reluctantly I may think of any other persons succeeding me in your esteem. I could not answer, and thought my heart would have burst, and he continued, To conclude at once the subject that is so grievous to you, I will tell you, my dear Pamela, that this person is Mr. Williams. And now I will acquaint you with my motive for this request, which is wholly owing to my niceness, and to no dislike I have for him, or apprehension of any likelihood that it will be so. But methinks it would reflect a little upon my Pamela, if she was to give way to such conduct, as if she had married a man for his estate, when she had rather had another, had it not been for that. And that now, the world will say, she is at liberty to pursue her inclination, the parson is the man. And I cannot bear even the most distant apprehension that I had not the preference with you. "'of any man living. "'Let me have been what I would, "'as I have shown my dear life "'that I have preferred her to all your sex "'of whatever degree.' 
I could not speak, might if I had the world. And he took me in his arms and said, I have now spoken all my mind and expect no answer, and I see you too much moved to give me one. Only forgive me the mention, since I have told you my motive, which as much affects your reputation as my niceness, and offer not an answer. Only say you forgive me, and I hope I have not one discomposing thing to say to my dearest for the rest of my life, which I pray God, for both our sakes, to lengthen for many happy years. Grief still choked up the passage of my words, and he said, The shower is over, my dear, let us walk out again. He led me out, and I would have spoken, but he said, I will not hear my dear creature say anything. To hearken to your assurance of complying with my request would look as if I doubted you and wanted it. I am confident I needed only to speak my mind to be observed by you, and I shall never more think on the subject, if you don't remind me of it. He then most sweetly changed the discourse. Don't you with pleasure, my dear, he said he, taking the delightful fragrance that this sweet shower has given to those banks of ours, your presence is so enlivening to me that I could almost fancy that what we owe to the shower is owing to that. And all nature, methinks, blooms around me when I have my Pamela by my side. You are a poetess, my dear, and I will give a few lines that I made myself on such an occasion as this I am speaking of, the presence of a sweet companion, and the fresh verdure that, after a shower, succeeding a long drought, showed itself throughout all vegetable nature. And then, in a sweet and easy accent, with his dear arms about me as we walked, he sung me the following verses, of which he afterwards favoured me with a copy. All nature blooms when you appear, the fields their richest liveries wear. Oaks, elms and pines, blessed with your view, shoot out fresh greens and bud anew. The varying seasons you supply, and when you're gone they fade and die. Sweet Philomel, in mournful strains, to you appeals, to you complains. The towering lark, on rising wing, warbles to you, your praise does sing. He cuts the yielding air and flies to heaven to type your future draws. The purple violet damask rose, each to delight your senses blows. The lilies ope as you appear, and all the beauties of the year diffuse their odours at your feet, who give to every flower its sweet. For flowers and women are allied, both nature's glory and her pride. Of every fragrance sweet possessed, they bloom but for the fair one's breast, and to the swelling bosom born each other mutually adorn. Thus sweetly did he palliate the woes, which the generosity of his action, mixed with the solemnness of the occasion, and the strange request he had vouchsafed me to make, had occasioned. And all he would permit me to say was, that I was not displeased with him. Displeased with you, dearest sir, said I, let me thus testify my obligations, and the force all your commands shall have upon me. And I took the liberty to clasp my arms around his neck, and kissed him. But yet my mind was pained at times, and has been to this hour. God grant that I may never see the dreadful moment that shall shut up the precious life of this excellent, generous benefactor of mine. And, but I cannot bear to suppose, 
I cannot say more on such a deep subject. Oh, what a poor thing is human life in its best enjoyment, subjected to imaginary evils when it has no real ones to disturb it, and that can be made as effectually unhappy by its apprehensions of remote contingencies as if it were struggling with the pangs of a present distress. This, duly reflected upon, methinks, should convince every one that this world is not a place for the immortal mind to be confined to, and that there must be a hereafter, when the whole soul shall be satisfied. But I shall get out of my depth. My shallow mind cannot comprehend, as it ought, these weighty subjects. Let me only therefore pray that, after having made a grateful use of God's mercies here, I may, with my dear benefactor, rejoice in that happy state where there is no mixture, no unsatisfiedness, and where all is joy and peace and love for evermore. I said, when we sat at supper, The charming taste you gave me, sir, of your poetical fancy, makes me sure you have more favours of this kind to delight me with, if you please. And may I beg to be indulged on this agreeable head? Hitherto, said he, my life has been too much a life of gaiety and action to be busied so innocently. Some little essays I have now and then attempted, but very few have I completed. Indeed, I had not patience nor attention enough to hold me long to any one thing. Now and then, perhaps, I may occasionally show you what I have essayed, but I could never please myself in this way. FRIDAY We were yesterday favoured with the company of almost all the neighbouring gentlemen and their ladies, who, by appointment with one another, met to congratulate our happiness. Nothing could be more obliging, more free and affectionate, than the ladies, nothing more polite than the gentlemen. All was performed, for they came to supper, with decency and order, and much to every one's satisfaction, which was principally owing to good Mrs. Jarvis's care and skill, who was an excellent manager. For my part, I was dressed out only to be admired, as it seems, and truly, if I had not known that I did not make myself as you, my dear father, once hinted to me, and if I had had the vanity to think as well of myself as the good company was pleased to do, I might possibly have been proud. As my Lady Davis said, though in anger, yet in truth, that I am but a poor bit of painted dirt. All that I value myself upon is that God has raised me to a condition to be useful in my generation to better persons than myself. This is my pride, and I hope this will be all my pride. For what was I of myself? All the good I can do is but a poor third-hand good. For my dearest master himself is but the second-hand. God, the all-gracious, the all-good, the all-bountiful, the almighty, the all-merciful God, is the first. To him, therefore, be all the glory. As I expect the happiness, the unspeakable happiness, my ever-dear and ever-honoured father and mother, of enjoying you both here under this roof so soon, and pray let it be as soon as you can, I will not enter into the particulars of the last agreeable evening, for I shall have a thousand things as well as that to talk to you upon. I fear you will be tired with my prattle when I see you. I am to return these visits singly, and there were eight ladies here of different families. Dear heart, I shall find enough to do. 
I doubt my time will not be so well filled up as I once promised my dear master. But he is pleased, cheerful, kind and affectionate. Oh, what a happy creature am I! May I always be thankful to God and grateful to him. When all these tumultuous visitings are over, I shall have my mind, I hope, subside into a family calm, that I may make myself a little useful to the household of my dear master, or else I shall be an unprofitable servant indeed. Lady Davis sent this morning her compliments to us both, very affectionately, and her lord's good wishes and congratulations, and she desired my writings per bearer, and says she will herself bring them to me again with thanks as soon as she had read them, and she and her lord will come and be my guests, that was her particularly kind word, for a fortnight. I have now but one thing to wish for, and then methinks I shall be all ecstasy, and that is your presence, both of you, and your blessings, which I hope you will bestow upon me every morning and night, till you are settled in the happy manner my dear Mr. B. has intended. Methinks I want sadly your list of the honest and worthy poor, for the money lies by me, and brings me no interest. You see, I am become a mere usurer, and want to make use upon use, and yet, when I have done all, I cannot do so much as I ought. God forgive my imperfections. I tell my dear spouse I want another dairy-house visit. To be sure, if he won't at present permit it, I shall, if it please God to spare us, tease him like any overindulged wife. If, as the dear charmer grows older, he won't let me have the pleasure of forming her tender mind as well as I am able, lest, poor soul, she falls into such snares as her poor dear unhappy mothers fell into. I am providing a power of pretty things for her, against I see her next, that I may make her love me if I can. Just now I have the blessed news that you will set out for this happy house on Tuesday morning. The chariot shall be with you without fail. God give us a happy meeting. Oh, how I long for it! Forgive your impatient daughter, who sends this to amuse you on your journey, and desires to be ever more dutifully yours. Here end at present the letters of Pamela to her father and mother. They arrived at their daughter's house on Tuesday evening in the following week, and were received by her with the utmost joy and duty, and with what great goodness and compliance by Mr. B. And having resided there till everything was put in order for them at the Kentish estate, they were carried down thither by himself and their daughter, and put into possession of the pretty farm he had designed for them. The reader will here indulge us in a few brief observations, which naturally result from the story and the characters, and which will serve as so many applications of its most material incidents to the minds of youth of both sexes. First, then, in the character of the gentleman, may be seen that of a fashionable libertine, who allowed himself in the free indulgence of his passions, especially to the fair sex, and found himself supported in his daring attempts by an affluent fortune in possession, a personal bravery, as it is called, readier to give than to take offence, and an imperious will. Yet has he betimes ceased his errors and reforms in the bloom of youth, an edifying lesson may be drawn from it, for the use of such as are born to large fortunes, 
and, who may be taught by his example, the inexpressible differences between the hazards and remorse which attend a prolificate course of life, and the pleasures which flow from virtuous love and benevolent actions. In the character of Lady Davis, let the proud and high-born see the deformity of unreasonable passion, and how weak and ridiculous such persons must appear who suffer themselves, as is usually the case, to be hurried from the height of violence to the most abject submission, and subject themselves to be outdone by the humble virtue they so much despise. Let good clergymen in Mr. Williams see that whatever displeasures the doing of their duty may give, for a time, to their proud patrons, Providence will at last reward their piety, and turn their distresses to triumph, and make them even more valued for a conduct that gives offence while the violence of passion lasted, than if they had meanly stooped to flatter or soothe the vices of the great. In the examples of good old Andrews and his wife, let those who are reduced to a lower state see that providence never fails to reward their honesty and integrity, and that God will, in his own time, extricate them, by means unforeseen, out of their present difficulties, and reward them with benefits unhoped for. The upper servants of great families may, from the odious characters of Mrs. Dukes and the amiable ones of Mrs. Jarvis, Mr. Longman, etc., learn what to avoid and what to choose, to make themselves valued and esteemed by all those who know them. And from the double conduct of poor John, the lower servants may learn fidelity, and how to distinguish between the lawful and unlawful commands of a superior. The poor deluded female, who, like the once unhappy Miss Godfrey, had given up her honour, and yielded to the allurements of her designing lover, may learn from her story to stop at the first fault, and by resolving to repent and amend, see the pardon and blessing which await her penitence and a kind providence ready to extend the arms of its mercy to receive and reward her returning duty. While the prostitute, pursuing the wicked courses into which perhaps she was at first inadvertently drawn, hurries herself into filthy diseases and an untimely death, and too probably into everlasting perdition. Let the desponding heart be comforted by the happy issue which the troubles and trials of Pamela met with, when they see, in her case, that no danger or distress, however inevitable or deep to their apprehensions, can be out of the power of Providence to obviate or relieve, and which, as in various instances in her story, can turn the most seemingly grievous things to its own glory, and the rewarding of suffering innocence, and that, too, at a time when all human prospects seem to fail. Let the rich, and those who are exalted from a low to a high estate, learn from her that they are not promoted only for a single good, but that Providence has raised them that they should dispense to all within their reach the blessings it has heaped upon them, and that the greater the power is to which God has raised them, the greater is the good that will be expected from them. From the low opinion she everywhere shows of herself, and her attributing all her excellence to pious education, and her lady's virtuous instructions and bounty, let persons, even of genius and piety, learn not to arrogate to themselves those gifts and graces which they owe least of all to themselves, since the beauties of persons are frail, 
and it is not in our power to give them to ourselves, or to be either prudent, wise, or good, without the assistance of divine grace. From the same good example, let children see what a blessing awaits their duty to their parents, though ever so low in the world, and that the only disgrace is to be dishonest, but none at all to be poor. From the economy she purposes to observe in her elevation, let even ladies of condition learn, that there are family employments in which they may and ought to make themselves useful, and give good examples to their inferiors as well as equals, and that their duty to God, charity of the poor and sick, and the different branches of household management, ought to take up the most considerable portion of their time. From her signal veracity, which she never forfeited in all the hardships she was tried with, though her answers, as she has reason to apprehend, would often make against her, and the innocence she preserved through all her stratagems and contrivances to save herself from violation, persons, even sorely tempted, may learn to preserve a sacred regard to truth, which always begets a reverence for them, even in the corruptest minds. In short, her obliging behaviour to her equals, before her exaltation, her kindness to them afterwards, her forgiving spirit, and her generosity. Her meekness in every circumstance where her virtue was not concerned. Her charitable allowances for others, as in the case of Miss Godfrey, for faults she would not have forgiven in herself. Her kindness and prudence to the offspring of that melancholy adventure. Her maiden and bridal purity, which extended as well to her thoughts as to her words and actions her signal affiance in God, her thankful spirit, her grateful heart, her diffuse charity to the poor, which made her blessed by them whenever she appeared abroad, the cheerful ease and freedom of her deportment, her parental, conjugal and maternal duty, her social virtues, are all so many signal instances of the excellency of her mind, which may make her character worthy of the imitation of her sex and the editor of these sheets will have his end, if it inspires a laudable emulation in the minds of any worthy persons, who may thereby entitle themselves to the rewards, the praises, and the blessing by which Pamela was so deservedly distinguished. The End End of section 33 End of Pamela, or Virtue Rewarded by Samuel Richardson